Hey, so how's it going? Well, I move in four days. Everything I own is in a box and um, I would rather jump off a bridge than pack another box at this point. Oh, just leave it all there and buy new shit. Oh, um, Paul, can I borrow $400? <laughs> you i hate you so much <laughs> i'm taking applications for new co-hosts yeah if you, you were can't interested, fire me <laughs> send emails to aaron sucks at lifetime <laughs> you can't fire me oh. y'all i got a text from somebody <laughs> in my life that somebody texted me to ask if they could borrow $400. Is that not a phone call kind of conversation? Or like, did I miss that memo? Look, I don't know, but I'm drinking um, champagne out of a plastic cup. So I'm boozing it up over here. Listen, I'm jealous. Clearly, You should. Be. Have you ever made jello shots with champagne? No, but that sounds incredible. It's one of my favorite things. Cause they kind of like bubble. We should do that when we're in D.C. Like, in not very yes. long. Yes. We should. I'm excited for that, at least. I am, too. I am, too. Like, everything has been garbage, and I won't get into it now until I know more information. But everything's been garbage, and um, I am ready to get the fuck out of here for a week. Yes. I'm very excited. Yes. Um, also, <sighs> I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since you told me you ordered cheese fries, and all I can think about mm -hmm. is how badly I want cheese fries. Well, but I'm gonna I, see how far away they are. You're only making 16 my life minutes. worse. Sixteen minutes. Okay, so my cheese fries. Um, Steak and Shake cheese fries is one of my all-time favorite things, and it's a good mm. thing we don't have Steak and Shake here in Shreveport. We don't have Steak and Shake here either, and it's a damn good thing, because every time I go to Austin, I'm like, let's go to Steak and Shake, and all my friends are like, let's go to a real restaurant. I'm like, fuck you, let's go to Steak and Shake. Like, <laughs> I have problems. Right. Right, they're like, you can get literally anything here, and you're like, I know, that's why I want Steak and Shake. Steak and Shake, yeah. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. oh man well All right, so... what's going on with you because i don't want to talk about this movie yet because it's okay so. um well as you know i was at church camp all week yeah and um did you find and jesus I, there i did i picked up a rock and he was like Psst, don't tell anyone i'm here i was like sorry so sorry like, dude my bad okay. my bad yeah i just i just put it back and i was like he's not mm -hmm. here keep looking yeah. Somebody else came in, picked up that rock, and I was like, no, not there. I already checked there. I already checked there. Okay, um, so church camp. Yes. We do weird shit at church camp, and I wonder if y'all do weird shit at church camp. This was not a weird shit church camp, but there I have been to weird shit church camps. Like We used to do this thing called messy games that was deplorable. Like I'm pretty sure if they tried to do it in 2021, somebody would end up in jail. It's a violation of the Geneva Convention for sure. It is. A, it, oh, yeah. If you've never smelled ketchup, mustard, ranch, and chocolate syrup all mixed together, um, you're really not living. Yeah. No. Nineties church camp was oh, just and like, dog food. Mm -hmm. I was gonna say nineties church camp was the Jesus version of uh, Fear Factor. Yes, a hundred percent. 
Yeah, no, we, that's not how ours was. We do this big thing, you know, on the cry night because you know every every church camp has cry night, right? So on we cry did night, not have a cry go, night either. Oh, that's so cool! I love your church camp already. Yeah. Cry night is manipulative and gross. Um, anyways, yes. So we would go on cry night and like go up, like hike up this mountain, and it was it's already been four. We've been there for four days. Nobody slept the entire time. It we're all already a freaking mess. And then, like, on the way up the mountain, you know, to where there's the big cross and all the music and, you uh-huh. know, you know, you know, um, yep. you know, the male counselors would, like, jump out of trees and scare the shit out of us, you know, just really no, getting us pumped up for that cry fuck? night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good times. So then once your adrenaline's going, you haven't slept at all. You, It's literal means of, like, sleep deprivation, mind control. Then there's a guy whispering to you about how Jesus will change your life. That's not how I want people to, like, experience my faith. Um, and so those aren't the and kinds of church this is why I'm not religious to. anymore. Yeah, this is why I'm not right. religious. Well, I'm very spiritual, not religious. So, um, right. and that's just my own experience. And, and I find my life much better without, like, organized religion in it. And I know other people don't, and that's cool. Right. And I, I like to believe that I don't tend to push my beliefs on people a lot, even yeah. as somebody who is very religious. Um, but that said, I came back from church camp. Um, and you had the and plague. I, well, before I had the plague, I had a concert the next day where I had a two hour rehearsal and then it was an outdoor concert in a hundred and two degrees. I'm not I'm not twenty-four anymore. Why the fuck did I think I could still like manage that? However, I will say, and I told y'all this on Snapchat, but uh Sarah brought our little boy to the concert because yeah. it was his first like symphony concert. And so every time we got finished playing a piece, him. she would say uh, you know, like clap for daddy. And he'd go, good job, dad. You were so good. Yay, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I was really the featured soloist and I just didn't want to tell anybody else there. So, um, it was was a little my concert y'all are just playing in it right 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 exactly um so that was wonderful and then i woke up saturday morning and i was like my body does not want to move i texted john i was like i don't know if it's allergies exhaustion or the brain tumor that that uh webmd says i have but i want to die Listen, on the on the very well-placed advice from your wife today, I have decided not to use WebMD as a point of <laughs> reference anymore um, because I really had myself worked up into a lather. And, and to be honest, there may be a reason for that, but in all likelihood, there isn't. And so um, we'll see. Trying yeah. to be more glib. Yep. Listen. <laughs> the, well, the best news in all of it is that you really do have access to the smartest doctor I've ever met for free 99. So uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Free 99. Um, the other- she hates it when I brag about her, but um, when she was graduating from residency, uh, St. Jude's really did reach out to her and offer her mm-hmm. a job. So it's not just me saying she's the smartest, like they recognize her talent too. 
Well, when I have surgery, which is, it's a given, it's just unsure what will be done. I'm going to have her as my like personal medical like liaison and I'm gonna have her call the doctors, the anesthesiologist and everybody and get everybody on the same page with the treatment program. And be like, you're gonna have to, I'm gonna have to connect you to my, my podcast doctor. Um, she is the, do- the official doctor of our podcast. I can't make any medical decisions without her, sorry. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, when my when my mom and dad got in a wreck one time sarah was still a resident by the way she was not even a fully graduated doctor they got in a wreck my mom had a concussion and had to go to the like went to the er in an ambulance my dad wouldn't let her or maybe it was my mom i can't remember now one of them would not let the er doctor make any decisions until sarah made it the hour and 10 minute drive from our house to the hospital where she could then make sure the doctor had done the right things. And you gotta love this ER doctor that's about (laughs) to take, that's about to take instructions from a family member who's also a resident. (laughs) That guy had a special day in hell that day. (laughs) Sarah just walked in going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. God. Well, the good news about everything is that next week when we do this recording, I won't be sitting in a room that's 900 degrees at nine o'clock at night. I'm very excited about that. I'll be in my new house that has working air conditioning that no one's ever lived in before. And I'm very excited. That's, that's actually really great because there are fewer chance of spirits there. It's true. Yeah, this house is soups haunted. So, um, yeah. No, I know. All right. I guess. Oh, hey, this is lifetime sentence, and we're uh-huh. about to talk about some really shitty stuff. Yeah, huzzah! <laughs> My name's Aaron, and I'm Paul. Yay! Okay. This week I watched Secrets of a Marine's Wife. It stars Sadie Calvano. She plays Aaron. So this was really meta for me, like doing a movie about a girl named Erin. Okay. Not in a good way. You'll I can see. imagine. We'll I can imagine. No, um, I know. Uh, she was in, did you watch mom like in the early seasons? No. She played the daughter on mom, Violet. Um, she was also in the package and she played J. Edgar Hoover's niece in J. Edgar. Okay. Motion picture. Okay. So she's been um, in things. Okay. She really, to me, looks like Bethany Joy Lenz from, um, oh, what is that stupid show with uh, Chad Michael Murray and Hilaria Burton? What is that show called? One Tree Hill. Yes. She looks a lot like, I think she looks a lot like. I watched that one. Um, It stars Evan Roderick. He plays John. He is in Arrow, Alien Shy, and he was in the Nano 210 reboot. Okay. And then finally, we have Tom Stevens. He plays Chris. He was in Wayward, Deadly, Deadly Class, Supernatural, and Cedar Cove. Okay, so nobody that I really know. Right. We open in the Mojave Desert, which is always a really good sign when you're watching a movie about murder. Um, maybe maybe we're gonna see some peyote 
I'd like to see some peyote right now. Um, it's June 28th, 2014, and there's a lady driving in the middle of the desert, like you do. She gets out of the car and sees the one pulling in behind her. She smiles and waves. We cut to two weeks later, and a reporter is talking about Aaron Corwin, who drove into the Mojave Desert two weeks ago and hasn't been seen since. Um, also, I just want to point out, um, Lifetime, whatever intern works on your IMDb needs to get their shit together because in the IMDb, it says Aaron and John Cornyn. And John Cornyn is a senator from the great state of Texas, and he's a piece <laughs> of literal garbage. So I ha- was really triggered. <laughs> yeah, because John Corwin is actually the only redeemable person he is I mean, in fact okay. the only so and her parents so the murder yeah. victim is not somebody i'm going to to talk shit about no. but john no. corwin is a wonderful person from what i can tell good um on this day uh july 26 2021 we said john corwin was a good person from our research if he has become a garbage person since then we are not responsible for that okay Thank you. <laughs> Um, a state trooper finds her car, but no Aaron. Um, her husband is giving an interview about how much he loves her. So immediately I was suspicious. And Lifetime did a really good job with kind of keeping this a secret until everything came out. Like keeping who the real Ooh, killer I love was that. a secret. And they kept like another big secret. And we'll get to what it is. But it it made the movie more suspenseful and i actually i actually lifetime. appreciated that mm-hmm. i know what I it watch is a lot of these, but i love that lifetime i watch a lot of these movies and like this one was really well done even though it is just devastatingly sad um so we flash back to two years earlier and john is in tennessee talking to aaron's parents he asks her asks them for her hand in marriage and they start to say no but Aaron comes up downstairs and she's like all ready to go and so they leave they go to Vegas and go to the Marines ball which is like a huge excuse me huge thing every year um he tells her that he asked for her parents and her parents for her hand in marriage and he says that they didn't have a chance to answer him and so she's like oh I'll totally marry you um romance is not dead they run to the nearest vegas chapel and get married and i'm really hard on them in the first part of this just because god they're so young yes oh they're so young and i'm like man if y'all oh they're so young but um i shouldn't be hard on them they're you know they were kids they were in love and he didn't do it so spoiler alert (laughs) um Back in Tennessee, her mom reminds her that she's only 18, and Aaron's like, well, um, you get better housing on base if you're married, so there. I was like, that's not a reason to get married. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what you want from us at this point, Aaron. You always have a bad reason for people to get married. What's a good reason? There aren't any. Okay. Don't get married. Um... (laughs) So they move to California and Aaron meets the other wives like on the base. One of them is like, oh, Ashley. One of them is like her name. Um, If you want to get pregnant, buy your husband an ATV. And I was like, that's practical advice. Um, 
the marine husbands go truck driving while drinking and shooting in the desert like you do and that seems some like some texas shit to me not some california right whatever um aaron and john go to the pool together and then john heads off to work and aaron starts spending a lot of time by herself while he does like i don't know soldier things and i don't mean that to be flippant i just mean i don't really know what soldiers do every day on base marine things sure soldiers refers to the army i was corrected once okay marine things i didn't know I i thought all the armed forces were soldiers I thought so too, but I was corrected, and maybe I was corrected incorrectly, but I have taken that to heart. I don't know. Everyone in my family has been in the Air Force, the Navy, or the Marines. I guess I could ask my cousin, but I didn't really think of that before. Um, anyway. Maybe Marines are called soldiers too, but I know like air, like the um, Air Force are all airmen, and the Navy is all sailors. Yeah, sailors, yeah, but what is the Marines then? I don't know. I mean, they're technically part of the Navy, but they're not sailors. Right. I don't know. Huh. If you know, tell us. Because I'm like, I'm genuinely. Yeah. I'm genuinely curious. I don't like, and I don't mean to come off flipping at all because like, I respect the hell out of the military. So. Oh, Um, absolutely. And that's why I was saying like, I didn't know that either. And so I've taken that correction to heart because I respect our military a lot. John comes home one day and Aaron shows him a pregnancy test. She's talking to her mom on the phone about being pregnant. And she sees one of the other husbands sitting on a bench playing with a gigantic knife. As one does, okay. I suppose. You know. Um, while John is off at work doing training, um, Aaron stays home playing video games that are like very much like the work that he's doing. They show it that kind of in like a back and forth. It was pretty cute. Like Call of Duty stuff. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, sadly, Aaron has a miscarriage, um, but John is by her side. And then shortly after they start arguing about money. So she's like, I'm going to go. And she takes off walking down, um, the deserted highway. Like, like, like it's a really bad idea to do. Um, so knife guy pulls up his name is chris and he offers her to drive her back to the base so she gets in the car with him he tells her he's sorry about the miscarriage and asks if she's okay she says she feels like john will ever need her the way a baby would need her and i'm like oh god that's such a teenage way to think about having kids uh-huh and i don't mean that in a bad way it's not like a bad thing i just mean like that's such a very um immature kind of way to think about having children um so he takes her to a rescue farm where he works with horses a couple times a week and she's actually super good at working with the horses um back at home john comes home with beer and they're getting ready for a get together they're having and he asks her to clean up but she's like no i'm gonna go lie down and play my video game chris comes in to keep her company of course and they play together and then they kiss Oh, okay. Well. In his interview with police, John swears that he has not seen Aaron since the morning she left. Um, Back in the past, Aaron goes to hang out with the other mom. So it's Nicole and Ashley. um, But she also starts texting Chris more and more. She meets him at the playground one night and they kiss some more. And then he takes her back to the horse farm and they go riding together. 
Okay. Marines prefer to just be called Marines, not soldiers. Okay. Air Force or Air- Airmen, Navy, or Sailors. Keep talking. Uh, troops, is the, troops is the term that applies to all service members. So that um, clarifies all of that. Now I'm vamping because Erin went to get the cheese fries that she ordered for me, but I don't know why she ordered me cheese fries because she is six hours away. So that was rude. I have cheese fries, but I can't eat them until you're I know. (laughs) Okay. So Erin and Chris both talk about how their significant others just don't understand them. And then he falls off the horse fucking amateur so she essentially takes care of his wounds Aaron calls her friend back home and talks all about Chris and her new and her friend is like um you totally have a crush on this guy and maybe you should forget maybe you should not forget that you're already married oh we also stay in this friend we just I mm-hmm. forgot that we stay in this friend yeah it's another movie night and everyone kind of breaks up early, leaving Chris and Aaron alone to finish the movie. Let me tell you how I'm not going to go to bed and leave my random friends in my living room while I'm sleeping. Right? Um, Ashley, whose house it is, she wakes up in the middle of the night with the baby and finds Aaron and Chris making out on the couch. Oops. Um, oh, and this is when... It cuts a commercial and they showed the first preview for the new Harry and Meghan movie and I just wrote hard pass. There is not a chance in hell that Queen, that Queen Elizabeth II has ever woefully looked down at her shoes while someone was speaking to her ever in her entire life. Right. <laughs> so uh, Ashley doesn't know what to do. Um, she's found them making out. So she just like goes into the kitchen and starts making like a ton of racket. So... <laughs> That's what I would do, probably. So Chris dips out, and Aaron's like, oh, I'm totally asleep. But Ashley's like, uh, no, you weren't asleep. And she's like, I know you're depressed, but this is not going to help. And she tells Aaron that they're all like a family and not to ruin it. Aaron makes her promise not to tell anyone. And she's like, okay, I'm only going to tell my husband because we don't keep secrets from each other. And, like, props to her for at least saying that. Right. Um... Aaron runs errands one day, which is my least favorite joke of all time, but all of my friends make the joke all the time. For real? I would have never made that joke. Like, that is the low-hangingest fruit. That you don't even have, like, you don't even have to reach up or bend over. That's just right there. Yep. And Chris leaves her a note on her windshield that says, Chris plus Aaron with a heart around it. And I was like, what is this, first grade? Oh, check yes or no but she finds this irresistible so they finally like go around the corner in his car and like make out she calls her friend and tells her about the love note and she calls chris a quote mysterious dark horse i hate all okay, those Katie words Perry. especially in that order um and her friend is like um you definitely need to not be with this guy and Aaron's like uh why can't you just be happy for me (laughs) um obviously they keep seeing each other and confiding in each other and one night Chris's phone buzzes while he's sleeping so his wife picks it up and goes to very great lengths to break into his messages like if it wasn't appalling it would be impressive (laughs) (laughs) 
okay. There's never a reason to remove your husband's SIM card and like put it in a computer so that you can read his messages. Like, oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. That is a long walk for not very much. And obviously, if you don't trust your husband that much already, you just need to leave. Oh, good. You and I have the same speech in our notes. <laughs> the exact same uh, speech. We always do. Um, yep. So she like goes in and like throws the computer at him and she's like, fuck you. I hate you. And he's like, oh, we were just goofing around and they get into a huge fight. He swears they never had sex. Meanwhile, Aaron and John live next door so they can hear, she can hear everything. She overhears Nicole, Chris's wife, threatening to kill her. So that's fun. So Chris and Aaron break up. Um, he's moving back to Alaska anyways, and he doesn't want to ruin his marriage. So Aaron goes home to wash dishes and cry. John comes in and asks her what's wrong, but she assures him that she's fine. He suggests they go back to Tennessee for a few days. So they do. Aaron talks to her mom about how marriage is hard. Duh. And her mom asks her if she still loves John. And Aaron's like, I do. And her mom says, well, I can tell that he loves you so, so much and would do anything for you. So she and John make up, I guess, even though they weren't really fighting to begin with. Um, they go back to right. California and are having a cookout. Nicole is drinking everything that isn't nailed down and confronts Ashley about not telling her about Chris and Aaron. Ashley's like, it really wasn't any of my business and I don't want things to escalate and please don't dredge things up right now. So Nicole confronts everyone. And by everyone, I mean everyone at the apartment complex and their friend group everyone yep um poor john is like what's what's happening but nicole outs the relationship in her outdoor voice to the entire complex and then yeah like Aaron. poor john is the last one to know and this is he how is. he finds out oh it's we're gonna terrible. get to some other things he finds out that are really bad um yeah then she calls Aaron a bitch ass hoe which lifetime you can do better I believe in you. <laughs> Lifetime was like, what's the worst insult we can find? And they just pulled a whole bunch of index cards that had mm -hmm. insults and they just stuck yeah. them together. Um, she threatens to kill Aaron again. So that's twice now. And this is why you should never threaten to kill people. Cause if they go missing, then you're going to end up on the business end of an interrogation at some point. Um, John comes and finds Aaron and asks if it's true. And she just says that she's sorry and she'll leave if he wants her to, but he's just asked her to tell him what happened. And so she does. Chris, meanwhile, and his friend Connor go back out to the desert and shoot at vans. Like, I don't, I don't, why? Why? You've never been van hunting? No. Um, Connor accidentally steps on a mine shaft, and this seems to give Chris an idea, which I don't like at all. Aaron and John go to dinner and Aaron's like, I think my mom's coming for my birthday. And I, um, you know, let's try to plan some things that we can do together. And John's like, whatever you want to do is fine. And she's like, you know what? I wish you would just yell at me. Cause obviously you're just being passive aggressive. And I feel like you don't love me anymore. And he's like, Oh, well I can serve you divorce papers. Is that what you want? I was like, Ooh. <laughs> I'm and uncomfortable. I Please remind me to never, ever, ever get married. It doesn't have to go like that, by the way. Um, John and Chris pass each other in the walkway one day, and John tells him that he believes in forgiveness, and it's clear everyone feels like shit, so let's all let bygones be bygones. And Chris is like, awesome. Um, 
and that seems to be that, but it is not. Um, then Chris goes to find Aaron on the playground, and they both lament about how their spouses will never trust them again. And I don't know, maybe stop hanging out together at night on the playground. Right. <laughs> Aaron, she find Aaron finds out she's pregnant again, but she doesn't. She says she doesn't want to celebrate because she's afraid of jinxing it. And something tells me that's not all she's afraid of. Uh huh. Later that night, they talk about baby names. And the next morning, she tells John that she's leaving. And he tells her to be careful out there. And then he loves her. And then we're back to the beginning when she went missing. Aaron pulls onto the side road. John's at home trying to call her. And then we see him go to Ashley to see if he's heard from her. And everyone starts searching. He starts calling everyone they know. And finally, he calls 911. He tells the investigators that he was home all day and nobody saw him. So they're like, oh, so you don't have an alibi? So you killed her? Where's her body? God. Um, he just continues to say that he loves his wife and he doesn't know where she is. So he finally, oh, they finally go and talk to Chris and Nicole. Um, they, he says the last time he saw her was a couple of weeks ago and his wife was like, oh, we weren't all that close. We didn't hang out a lot. Um, and Chris and John say they, or Chris says he, he and John never hung out together. And so the police are like, okay, thanks, bye. And they leave. And I'm like, really? That's it? That's all the questions you right. have for these people? Um, right, because like the, the one girl said, I'll kill you. And the mm -hmm. the guy was like, definitely, most likely involved in things he shouldn't have been. So like, yeah. maybe ask two more questions. The news reporter is back to tell us that everyone in California law enforcement and the FBI are searching for Aaron. Aaron's friend, the true. <laughs> I like the idea bitch. that every police officer quit everything they were doing. Like, well, crime just went rampant because mm -hmm. everybody had stopped. Well, what happened is they listed all these different law enforcement agencies, and I wanted to finish the movie, so I didn't go back and list them. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> okay. Um. So Aaron's friend goes to Aaron's mom, and Aaron's friend is a dumb bitch. And I'm telling you, I have people that I'm like, if I go missing, here's who you turn in. Yeah. And she was that friend. And so she's like, she confesses that, um, that the, F oh wait, no, she tells Aaron's mom that Aaron was having an affair. Um, Ashley also tells the police about the affair and this refocuses them on John, of course. Um, and we see an interesting thing we see chris give aaron a poem and oh was the all poem in there huh was the text of the poem in there it was i had the poem I didn't in my notes because i was like it's so dumb i hate it and i just moved on i have the poem <laughs> in my notes and the twist of all twists, the affair never really did end and i guess those seventh grade poems really do work so Chris confesses his love for Aaron and then Aaron finds out she's pregnant and all of a sudden we are in an episode of Mari. Aaron tells Chris that she's sure it's his baby and that they're going to be a family and I don't really know who did it. So props to Lifetime for that. So we see Aaron leave that day again. John tells her he loves her and then waits for her to leave. Ugh. Knowing what I know now, this is the saddest thing I've ever, I'm ever going to say. Well, probably not the saddest thing I'm ever going to say, but it's up there. The detectives bring John back in to be questioned. And they're like, ha, it wasn't your baby. 
and he was like, I didn't know that. And he cries and he's like, they were, they're like, hot. Well, she was still having an affair. And he was like, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. God, it's so bad. Yeah, it was, it was so horribly done. It was horribly done, Aaron. He cries and swears he didn't know and continues to insist he did not kill her. So he takes a polygraph, which is fucking useless. Um, the police, though, are out processing Aaron's car at the crime scene and find a second set of tire tracks, proving that Aaron was not alone in the desert. Duh. John passes the polygraph. Thank God. So they pull Chris back in for more questioning because he's a big fat liar. Chris is like, oh, well, I didn't tell you about the affair because I could have gotten court-martialed for having an affair, which is actually true. Yes. And the lady detective says, quote, we're not the marriage police, Chris. We don't care who you do the Macarena with, but when your dance partner goes missing, especially if she's pregnant with your kid, we call that an intriguing set of circumstances. We stand this lady detective. I mean, that's not a good quote, but we stand this lady Bad detective. Quote. No, I like the lady <laughs> detective, but I that quote is terrible, and I hope it's not something she actually said out loud to people. I don't have a transcript of that to know for sure, but... Um, Chris swears to them that he and Aaron never had sex, and the guy detective is like, oh, really? Because here's all your text messages. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Chris is like, hey, I have a wife and a kid, and surely you can understand that I didn't want this getting out. But unfortunately He's, for Chris... Chris is the opposite of the teacher from the other case that's like, mm -hmm. look, we didn't kiss. We just fucked in the back of my Jeep. Yeah. Chris. <laughs> um, so, unfortunately for Chris, the tire tracks at the scene match his Jeep. The lady detective is like, so where's the body? And this motherfucker, I cannot even respond. Oh, you don't know? What an ass. And this is where I would fly across the table and punch him in the face. So the police go to talk to Connor and he says he assumed Chris had been out looking for a mine shaft because he always wanted to blow one up with a propane tank. And people need better hobbies. Get another hobby. What? I feel Aaron, like blowing up Minecraft is a is a very specific hobby. Have you not ever looked at a mine shaft and thought, "One day I'm gonna blow you up"? No. Um, the police bring in an expert to search all the mine shafts, and meanwhile, Chris is getting the hell out of Dodge. Um, and I'm like, don't they usually tell you not to leave town in a situation like this? As they're pulling away, he assures his wife, Nicole, that by the time they get to Alaska, this will all be yesterday's news. And I'm going to guess that since I'm currently watching a Lifetime movie about this case, that's not what happened. Yeah, I think, I think not. They start exploring the mine shafts. Um, they find a lot of dead animals. Um, and the reporters are saying the search will be given up in the next 24 hours. The detectives go to talk to John again, and now they're all friends, right? Because, you know, he didn't do it. They figured that out, and he's they're like, oh, we're so sorry. We're probably never going to find your wife. Oh, well. Good. So they're just chock full of good news. Yeah. 
The detectives are ready the, to call things. The local onto- the oncologists call the police in now to deliver all the bad news. Like, hey, can mm-hmm. you just come take care? This guy is definitely terminally ill. Can you just come handle this? Because you're real yeah. good at it. Yeah. Um, the detectives are ready to call the whole thing off, but the mine expert isn't. So they go to one more mine that's a little bit more remote. And as they get there, they notice that it happens to smell like gasoline. It is Saturday, August the 16th, 2014. And since they showed the date on the screen, I'm going to guess that this is not good. Um, Sure enough, at the bottom of the mine, they find Aaron's body. Um, They arrest Chris and we flash back to Aaron on the day of the murder. Chris pulls up and says he's going to show her something so she gets in the Jeep with him. He takes her to the middle of nowhere and asks if this place is important to him. They kiss and he tells her to close her eyes. And he does. Then he pulls a garrot out of his pocket. And the last thing she says to him is what he thinks about the name Sam. Oh my god. At the trial. everything. So Chris is on trial and I'm really confused as to why he wasn't court-martialed and was put on a criminal trial. And I don't know if you have the answer to that, but I'm just... I, I, I do I don't... have the answer to that. Okay. Um, he says he murdered her in a crime of passion because Aaron wanted to destroy his family. He says that he just took her out to the middle of nowhere to break up with her and definitely not to kill her and dump her into a mine. He continues to blame Aaron for her own murder and then he reenacts the crime in the middle of the courtroom. As he does that, we flash back and forth between the courtroom and the actual murder uh-huh. and the prosecutor. And I'm guessing this was his actual strategy and it's fucking effective. Um, the prosecutor is keeping a stopwatch and every so often he says, okay, so it's been 30 seconds. You could have stopped then. And he's like, okay, it's been a oh. minute. You could have stopped then. Okay. She stopped moving. Now you could have stopped then. Damn. Um, And Chris just keeps saying no over and over because he was just too angry. Go fuck yourself. Um, The prosecutor's strategy, again, is effective. The entire courtroom is in tears. After he kills her, he throws Aaron into a mine shaft and attempts to collapse the mine using a propane tank, but he sucks, so he missed, of course. Um, He just keeps repeating that what he did was necessary. Back in Tennessee, Aaron's parents put her ashes on the mantle. John asks if he can be alone with her for a minute, and he tells her picture that he loves her, and he should have told her that more often. We end with a vision of Aaron coming down the stairs in her marine ball dress, asking John what he thinks, and, like, doing a little twirl. Oh. Quote, on November 29, 2016, Chris Brandon Lee was found guilty of the first-degree murder of Aaron Corwin. He was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole and will spend the rest of his natural life in prison. Um, then it shows a photo of the real Aaron, like posing with a horse. And it says, quote, in memory of Aaron Corwin. And then in memory of Shanna Hogan, author of Secrets of a Marine's Wife. The end. Golly. <laughs> Lifetime. Good job. Yeah, good they did job. great. Their summer movies were all pretty decent. Yeah. I'm good for you. Impressed. Um, okay, sorry. All right. So, 
just at the top, my sources are um, New York Post had an article called The Twisted Love Triangle That Led to the Killing of a Marine's Wife. This was written by uh, Larry Gelton. CBS had a 48 hours called um, Search for Missing Marine Wife Like Finding a Needle in a Thousand Haystacks. Um, Ooh, of course, that's, yeah. on the movie they said, oh, we're looking for a needle in the desert. And I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. Uh, there's, of course, the book Secrets of a Marine's Wife by Shanna Hogan. And then Oxygen had an article um, called What Reason Did This Man Give for Murdering a Marine's Newly Pregnant Wife? Born on July 15th, 1994 in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, Aaron Corwin, born Aaron Hevlin, was an animal lover with a particular knack for training otherwise untamable horses. Um, she had kind of what was described as this beautiful and simple childhood. Um, and when she was in the fifth grade, she met John Corwin, her future husband, for the first time. The fifth um, grade? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Um, so Beth Ford Roth, who was an NPR uh, reporter who covered this case, said, quote, you could see Aaron was a shy, bashful, sweet, kind girl, and I had a soft spot for her because of her love for animals. It was hard to find a photo of Aaron where she wasn't holding a cat or with her horse. Um, and this is from the 48 Hours interview. And then it cut to her mother, Lori, who said, we are at East Tennessee Riding Club in Oak Ridge. This is where Aaron first really experienced horses. When she first started, I assured her we would never get a horse. And we ended up with two. This place was actually Aaron's second home. And I believe if she could, she would have slept there. Aww. And then, and then Lori, her mother, went on to say, Aaron and John met at the barn. She was like in the fifth grade at the time. And then when she was 15, they kind of reconnected and they started dating on her 16th birthday. Um, so even though they'd met young, it's too they didn't, cute. I can't, I know even though they'd met young, they, um, had fallen out of touch and then reconnected. Um, so the two started dating on Aaron's 16th birthday and Aaron was known to write him poems throughout their relationship and they were described in one of the articles as the all-American couple with a fairy tale romance. And anytime someone is described as that, it just puts so much weight on young people who are just trying to make it, you know? It does. It's like when they say that you light up a room or something. Like, that's how you know that you're going to die. Right. It's like, it's just red flags. Like when people say that you're the pillar of a society. Like, oops, ma. Oh. Mm -mm. um so when they were older john was a year older than aaron um john asked aaron's permission no john asked aaron's parents permission to propose um they seemed to be like they seemed to hold closely to what could be described as traditional values it was important to him and to her family that he ask you know her dad's permission and um right. her parents really loved john he said that in fact, there was a quote that a little ooged me out because it was something along the lines of he was good for her and he was good for them. Like, I don't, I don't need my children's partner to be good for me. I just need them to yeah. be good for my children, you know? Right. Exactly. But, yeah. 
Um, so in 2012, John joined the Marines and the couple got married that November. Erin moved with her husband to 29 Palms, California in September of 2013. And quickly she made friends with her neighbors and tried to settle into life as a Marine's wife. Connor and... So the name that was in this article was Aisling. I think this is the Ashley. That is the... Is it A-I-S-L-I-N-G? Yes. Okay, that is the traditional Irish way to spell the name Ashlyn. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. So Connor Mm -hmm. and Ashlyn Malachi lived downstairs from the Corwins, and they had an infant son. And then Chris and Nicole had a daughter named Liberty, who lived next door. And as I've said before, I normally leave children out, but unfortunately Liberty gets used in this story. And so I have to... I was really her hoping name. her name wasn't actually Liberty, not because Liberty is not like a perfectly acceptable name. It just is a little too on the nose for like too on the nose. Military yeah. family. I'm like, oh, of course her name is like Liberty. Ugh. And Liberty is so a great of, name. I'm just saying. <laughs> one of my favorite book bloggers and book podcasters, her name is Liberty Hardy. Um, her mom is a librarian and she talked one time on her podcast about how growing up she thought that her name liberty because it's spelled so close to library she thought they must be like a common word together and so she thought her mom named her after books whenever she was little i've always like i find that so cute and now every time i see somebody named liberty that's what i think of that's so cute so um this was a quote from, oh, from Shannon Hogan's book. Uh, while their parents were on duty, while their husbands were on duty, sorry, Aaron, Ashlyn, and Nicole would stop by each other's apartments for snacks and gossip. When John, Connor, and Chris were home, the couples barbecued on the grill outside their complex or watched movies and TV shows at each other's apartments. So they really became this tight-knit community within their little complex. But they weren't close. They never hung out. Right. They were together all the time. Yeah. Um, so then Ashley, uh, so this was a quote from 48 Hours. This is Agent Ashley DeChelfin, De and I will quote her a few times. She was the NCIS intelligence specialist who was assigned to this case. Um, and she's the female detective that I stand. I don't know if she's the one that they were portraying in Lifetime, but she just is incredible. Um, she said, um, she talked a lot about how when you are investigating a case, you grow to know your, the people you're investigating and to have a heart for them. And she said, and I slowly grew to know Aaron from my research. Aaron loved horses. So she started volunteering at the white rock horse rescue ranch. And that's where she started meeting some people and slowly gathering her social circle. Um, and so agent DeChelfin discovered that Aaron had become close friends, um, especially with Chris Lee and Nicole, as well as their daughter, because they all loved horses and spent a lot of time at this rescue ranch where, where Aaron had started to go. Um, and Isabel Megley, who is the owner of the white rock horse rescue, um, who was also an important character in this story. Um, she talked about how she, how Nicole had come out to the ranch to find a horse for her own use. But, um, 
Erin would come out to find a horse for her own use, and Nicole would come with her because Nicole had a horse, so they'd ride together. Um, and that's just kind of how they bonded. And then Erin um, also loved children, so she quickly became a babysitter to the Lee's daughter. Um, and Erin really took her in. Um, and then I think this was still a quote from... This is still a quote really from 48 Hours. That's all really interesting oh, because in the movie, in the movie, they show they don't show Aaron and Nicole being friends. They just show Aaron and Chris being close. Gotcha. Yeah. So Aaron and Nicole were initially very close, um, and so and then Aaron and Aaron was very fond of Liberty, um, and they had a, like a really interesting bond too. Those the way that lots of little kids have with like a very steady babysitter. Um, I can remember my babysitter when I was very little, Kim. I was very close to her. I loved her dearly. Me too. Um, mm-hmm. My little boy loves his babysitter. Um, mm-hmm. I loved who, my babysitter growing up. She was amazing. Um, and I just think that's special, like that bond that they, you know, that kids develop with their babysitter. It kind of teaches them that there are safe people outside of their family and yeah. how to recognize safe people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway um so Lori's mom said that Erin seemed to enjoy some aspects of being a marine wife but other aspects were harder than what she anticipated um and that there was a lot of heartache especially like when Erin posted news of her pregnancy on Facebook uh in early 2014 and just a few weeks after that Erin suffered a miscarriage um which (coughs) I can't I can't imagine the grief involved in that. And, um, and I know that lots of people deal with that. And so on top of this, um, you know, Aaron was kind of alone. Her family was far away. Her husband was working a lot. The closest thing to community she had was these people in the apartment complex. Right. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, the wives in the apartment complex, cause the husbands were all, were all at drills or working or, you know, being Marines and keeping our country safe. And right. Running. The husbands are um, all together and the wives are at home. Right. So, um, and Lori then said that she thought that the miscarriage took a, Lori's the mom, took a toll on the marriage. She said, I don't think either one of them knew how to handle that grief process. Right. She no, said, I, it's um, one of those things though that you, and you can't, you don't know how to handle it until you're going through it. And that's, it's a very, right. like you learn ha- very hands-on and if you're not, I don't want to say old enough because if you're old enough to have a kid, you're obviously old enough to have a kid, you know, that's a biological thing. But if you're not as wise and on the more mature side, it can be a lot to handle and you can lash out because you don't know what else to do. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and, uh, with Aaron, instead of lashing out, what she did more was withdrawing. Um, so right. she withdrew from John. She withdrew from the other couples. Um, but this kind of withdrawal and pain seemed to draw Chris Lee's attention. Um, in Shanna Hogan's book, she wrote, quote, Chris had been observing Aaron when they hung out together and noticed a sorrow in her face that mirrored his own sadness. He started spending more time with her without Nicole around. 
And then um, the NPR um, reporter Beth Ford Roth in that 48 hour special went on to say, Aaron was devastated and didn't really have anyone to talk to. And Christopher Lee saw that as his uh, end to Aaron. He knew right away to approach her because she was hurting so badly. And he even said, quote, we were two broken pieces that fit together, which just sounds like predatory behavior if I've ever fucking heard it. One million percent. If so, anybody um, ever says, if anybody ever refers to you as broken, and like that's one of the reasons they're attracted to you is because you, you, you're you both broken in the same way, that's not romantic. No. No. Um, so one Sunday night in February of 2014, the Lees had come over to the Corwin's apartment to watch The Walking Dead, and Aaron didn't really watch the show because of the violence, so she withdrew to her bedroom to play video games, which I found really funny because you said- Violent that, video like, games? <laughs> yeah, well, you said that Lifetime made it look like Aaron played like Call of Duty and things like that, um, mm-hmm. so it doesn't say what games she played on here. But if she didn't play, if she didn't watch The Walking Dead because of violence, so she went to her bedroom to play Call of Duty, it just makes me laugh. Um, Yeah. But, so instead of joining Nicole and John on the couch watching Lifetime Sentence, Chris decided to join Aaron under the guise of playing Watching Lifetime Sentence? In their bedroom. Did I say Lifetime Sentence? Sorry, watching (laughs) The Walking Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, listen, we got our own show. I didn't want to tell y'all this, but, um... We premiere February 30th, 2022. So be looking out for us. Put it on your calendar. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So um, anyway, instead of watching movies with Nicole and John, he went to John and Aaron's bedroom to play video games with Aaron, which I don't know. I don't go to people's bedrooms I find that so weird and intrusive and invasive. I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on who the, stop that, who the friend is and how well you know them and, and like they're kind of comfortable, like how comfortable you are with them. And especially when you're younger. I guess. I guess. I've also always been weird. I have very weird boundaries and always have. You are Um, weird. So, um, Shanna Hogan went on to write, Chris and Aaron were alone, seated on the floor beside each other, playing the game. Suddenly, one of them paused the game, and Aaron glanced in his direction. The pair started kissing, and while it only lasted a few seconds, that one kiss changed everything, and they began an affair. Mm-hmm. The, the affair became intense quickly, and soon the pair was discussing leaving their spouses and what a great stepmother Aaron would be for liberty whom she babysat frequently. Yeah, that face is how I felt on the inside too. Yeah, Um, I don't like that, especially like, you know how I feel about bringing kids into your divorce and it has to be kind of the same for, oh, I'm going to be such a good stepmom. Like, that's so weird. That's weird. Well, and... And at no point was there ever any discussion in any of the notes that like Nicole was a bad mom. So like it would right. almost, it, it would be different if like Nicole had been a shitty mom and it was like, oh, things will be so much better 
Well, I mean, but, I don't know. I think you can be a but, good stepmom and also be, um, oh, and I'm also not have a good mom. But just, the talk I'm just saying of that it, that yeah. conversation is weird. If yeah, because he, if she the kid's not like, in a shitty situation right now, like right. Like, if it's a lateral move and not an improvement, then it's not a conversation that's... I don't know. I find the mm-hmm. whole thing oogie. Yeah. Um, so, it wasn't long before Nicole noticed a shift in Chris's behavior. So, instead of confronting him about it, she went through his phone to try to catch him in something, which she did. She found texts on his phone to Aaron that said things like, you're so gorgeous and I think I'm falling for you. Um and here's the deal. I know we've talked about this before, but let me just reiterate. If you don't trust your partner so much that you feel the need to snoop through their phone, you don't have a relationship. It's time to just go ahead and cut bait. I'm not blaming this poor woman for a single thing that happened at all. I'm just telling anybody who might be listening, if you're snooping, just stop. The trust is broken for some reason or another. Either work to repair it or leave. But snooping's not yeah. making anything right. End scene. No. I completely oh. agree. It's like, <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things. It's like, if it happens, it should be like, okay, it, it was like, it happened. I found something and now we have to rebuild this trust or it has to be, it happened. I found something. I don't trust you. And so we need to not be together. Right. Yeah. But like, like just, if you are so, if you feel so strongly that there's something wrong in their relationship that you have to snoop, then there is something wrong in the relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not an affair, even if it's mm-hmm. not an affair, there's something wrong and it needs to be addressed one way or the other, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so Nicole confronted, <laughs> I wrote Nicole confronted, confronted Christ in an hours long argument. So now I'm imagining she was at church camp with me. She picked up that rock. And she was like, you motherfucker. I've been waiting for you. <laughs> Jesus. I have, I have some things to say. <laughs> so Nicole confronted Chris in an hours long argument about Yay. it. And then informed John of the affair in front of all of the couples during quote one long angry night as the new york post described it (laughs) that that sounds terrible (laughs) right can you imagine they're like they're like um okay so nicole we're gonna um cook some hot dogs out on the grill um how do you like your hot dog made uh, well i don't like it in bed with aaron that's how i don't like it i don't like my hot dog after it's been in someone else's vagina that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> you know John's like, the thing. Uh, this is, that's not how i was <laughs> this is why i'm single and why i always, probably always will be because i don't have the stamina to fight with someone for hours right I'm going to, I'm going to reach a point where I'm going to be like, I'm done with this for today. I need to exit the scenario. I'm ne- I'm not going to fight with somebody for hours ever. That's never going to happen. And especially yeah. as I get older, as I get older, my, my fighting time gets lower and lower. <laughs> uh-huh. I just don't have it in me. 
Sarah and I both are not argue for hours type of people. And she is not because she's like patient and mature and an adult and like successful in life. And I'm not because I escalate quickly. I say the thing that's going to hurt somebody the absolute most. And then I'm done and I walk away. And Wait. so like, if, if you get me to the point that I have to pull that punch, then I'm only going to argue about 10 minutes tops, but I'm going well, to ruin the relationship and it's going to be over. With me, my thing is I will give you cues that I need to exit the conversation and if you do not allow me to exit the conversation, I will then say something that is going to hurt you so badly. You will never think of me in the same way ever again. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try to fight with me for hours. It's not going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, as Aaron tried to turn to leave this conversation, Nicole stormed after her. Shanna Hogan wrote, quote, eyes flashing with anger. She shoved her finger in Aaron's face. If you ever have anything else to do with my husband, I'll kill you myself. She screamed. I so feel like that's one of those things witnesses. that people say in anger and they don't really mean it, but also don't ever say that to anybody because guess what? If they go missing, you right. are suddenly in the top two of who could have done it right. because first of all, all of everyone's going to run their... an attorney. Yeah. Yeah. People are going to, that's the first thing people are going to say. Right. Because if, even if like all their friends, like friend circle stone walls, I guarantee you Aaron went home and told somebody else that that conversation occurred and that that girl threatened to kill her. Right. It's going to come she up. She called her friend, she called her friend Jesse, which Jesse yeah. didn't make it into my notes. Because I didn't realize it until I'd already written nine pages just how important she was going to be. And I was like, I cannot mm -hmm. add any more to this. But throughout this yeah. whole thing, Jesse, who's the best friend, really was the person who tipped off the police about this affair mm -hmm. um, and kept things moving forward. She's the one who told her mom what was going on. You know, like, Jesse was the informant of it all because yeah. Aaron informed her of everything. Like, if you um, say something, if you say something mean to me, I may not, I'm not going to advertise it because that's just not my style, but I'm going to tell someone. Oh yeah. I'm going to tell you, ever, like I'm going to tell our yeah. group chat. If it ever has to come back, I guarantee you someone knows. Right. So, um, I don't know. I'm just saying, so, don't threaten to kill anybody. It's not good. So Aaron and Chris briefly called off, cut off the affair, but several weeks later they were sneaking off again together. Um, he he did the really predatory thing where he made her feel important. So he'd say things like, I'm just going through a really tough time right now, too. I don't really connect with my family anymore. I play Russian roulette every morning just to feel something, you know, that decides whether I'm going to have another day or not. Please stop and talking so like my ex-boyfriend. It's annoying. <laughs> I'm sorry that you had to deal with that. Thanks. And so now Aaron had a purpose. It was to keep Chris alive. Like oh, when God. she felt Ugh. kind of lost too, he gave her something to do. You know, like it's just a movie predators is, mate. It's it's typical narcissistic abuse where the the perpetrator just wants to feel like they're the center of someone else's world 
And so they manipulate the shit out of you until you uh-huh. make them the center of their world. And then they realize after you do that, that that doesn't make them feel better because they're narcissists and they can't feel better. So then they just discard you and find someone new to try to make them feel better. And on 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 forever. Right. Um. Well, and everything was on a clock for Aaron and Chris because his time in the Marines was due to end July 4th, 2014, after which he, Nicole, and Liberty were scheduled to return to their home state of Alaska. Um, But on June 22nd, Aaron learned that she was pregnant again. This time, she did not announce it on social media. And as you gathered, it was for more reasons than one. The following week, on June 28th, Chris planned a trip to Joshua Tree National Park with Connor to hunt coyotes, bringing along his 22 Winchester rifle. He also had a propane tank he hoped to explode, using gasoline and his rifle in one of the park's abandoned mine shafts. Because, you know, that's I'm sorry. Place. Leave the coyotes out of this. Right? Um, Connor canceled because he had friends staying over, so Chris went alone. By coincidence, Aaron was also driving to Joshua Tree National Park that day. Yeah, Supposedly huge coincidence. To scout place, right? Supposedly to scout places to bring her mother during an upcoming visit. Aaron Corwin was just 19 years old when she kissed her husband goodbye and said she was heading to the park to scout out hiking trails. The morning of June 28th, 2014 was the last time her husband would see her alive. Um, she was 19. She was 19. So NCIS Special Agent Clifton Randolph Jr., who was the head agent on this case, described Joshua Tree National Park. He said it's a very large and desolate area. There's not a lot of water in these areas and it gets very hot during the day and very cold at night. But Beth Ford Roth, that NPR reporter, says it's a beautiful mm-hmm. area. The Joshua trees are like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. And that paints a picture oh, that gorgeous. I told you Yeah. Uh-huh. Joshua Tree National um, Park is beautiful. It's on my bucket list for sure. Yeah. And um, then, so this is all from the 48 Hours. And this is the transcript that I'm just going to read. It cut to Lori, Aaron's mother. And she said, John called and he said, Aaron's missing. And I'm like, what do you mean Aaron's missing? And my first thought is she's gotten lost. Aaron has no sense of direction. And then her oh, dad same. said, I actually mm-hmm. got a right. Aaron. Uh, and then her dad said, I actually got a call from the base commander saying that he had sent out troops to help look for her. And they had found nothing. It becomes very <sighs> drastic at that point. She's not very large and she's not going to last long out there. Um, and then Beth Ford Roth, the reporter, said they searched in temperatures that climbed as high as 110 degrees, 115 degrees. The dogs were getting close to heat stroke. The dogs were getting heat stroke. They even encountered killer bees. It was a really gruesome, tough search. Um, I think you know, a lot of my my sister in law is a truck driver, and she does a lot of runs out into California, into the desert out there. And she has a dog that she takes with her and her dog has to wear shoes that are like at this time of year, because it's so hot. He can't step on the pavement and literally Stanley and dog shoes is everything that's kept me going. 
the past uh-huh. few weeks. So it is hot as shit out there. Like she sends pictures yes. of her, oh, do- like of her, like the inside of her truck that says like 140 degrees and so- like it's hot. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> um, she continued to say. Um, I think a lot of people first became familiar with Joshua Tree National Park through the album Joshua Tree by U2 um, that came out in the 1980s. And there's a song in that album called Mothers of the Disappeared. But the words really spoke with what I felt Lori must have gone through and not knowing where her daughter was. And out in the desert where the Joshua Trees were, she was out there somewhere. Um and just, I mean, they just painted this 48 hours was so well done. It was so well yeah. done, which 48 hours is always well done. But this one really like was edited really well. The interviews fit together really well. Like I liked the way that they cut it. It felt very much like um, Daisy Jones, like the way yeah. that they cut this interview together to tell the whole story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Um, It continued. Aaron was not the type of person who would just leave and not tell anyone. Her husband was calling her. Her mother was calling her. Her friends were calling her and it went straight to voicemail. That was a sign that something was wrong. Um, And then it cut to Lori saying, when they handed me a card that said special investigative homicide team, it just makes your heart sink. So the San Bernardino Sheriff's Search and Rescue Team paired up with NCIS agents for this job of finding Aaron Corwin. They had to come through more than 300 acres of desert pitted with more than a thousand abandoned mines. The search for, uh, oh, and that was just 300 acres that were like rugged trees and stuff. um, Because this whole park was 1,200 square miles. So, um, yeah. The search for Aaron Corwin's body. But like, also, I just over- wanna, I just wanna ask, what kind of dummy, dumb, 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 dumps a body on federal land? Right. What are you doing, my guy? That was dumb as shit. I mean, keep so, being stupid, but I mean, I'm just saying. Right. The search for her body occurred over 1,200 square miles of wilderness and involved six different law enforcement agencies and hundreds of volunteers. On July 1st, Chris Lee had been taken in for questioning, but he could not be arrested for anything at that time. Um, Quote, he was cooperative, did not request a lawyer, and was honest enough to admit that he and Aaron had been having an emotional affair. And then this is a transcript from his um, interview. Quote, uh, Chris Lee, she was someone I could tell stuff I didn't want to tell anyone because she was a secret, so I could tell her my secrets. She was a secret, so I could tell her my secrets. I'm having flashbacks right now. I need to get rid of this guy. Um, ugh, I hate it. And then the NCIS agent, the special agent, uh, Randolph said, um, Oh no, sorry, that was where I messed up my notes. And then he said, it never went past kissing. And the cop said, you never had any type of intercourse with her? And he, Chris said, no. The furthest we went yeah. was making out and hands moving across each other's bodies. I, I just emotionally I got her. her pregnant. Right. Immaculate Conception Part 2. No, we were having an emotional I... affair, so I emotionally got her pregnant. 
I thought I was in love with her, but that was just make-believe life that I was in love with. The cop said, you told her that you loved her. Did she tell you that she loved you? And Chris said, she did. And I kind of think, honestly, that she meant it. So three hours into the interrogation, the investigators changed their tactics. And the cop said, okay, Chris, here's the deal, man. I've been doing this a long time. We're going to find out what happened to Aaron. She's not okay. Something happened to her and she's not okay. And we're going to not going to stop until the truth is out there. We know that you met with her on Saturday morning, the day she went missing. And we know that we know that. And we also know that you're one of the last people to see her alive. Are you a cold blooded killer? Did you, did something happen? Was there an accident? And Chris said, I didn't see her on Saturday. The cop said, okay, we're past that. This moment is the moment of your life is the most important moment of your life. We can't change what happened in the past. We can choose our fate from right now. If something happened, whatever it is, we have to be honest. And a second cop enters the room and says, you know, she was pregnant with your child. Chris says she wasn't pregnant with my child. And the second cop says, maybe you don't know. I don't know, but that's what she was telling everybody. And so, um, Still, they didn't have any way to, like, anything to hold him for. So they had to let him go. Um, and that was July 1st. Remember I told you July 4th he was due to end his time with the Marines. So um, three days later, with no charges against him, he was honorably discharged from the Marines. Oh, for fuck's sake. This is why he wasn't court God. <clears throat> Yep. This is why he wasn't court-martialed. So that meant he had to move out of base housing. So Chris, Nicole, and Liberty moved into an extra room at the horse ranch. Can you take back an honorable discharge? (laughs) JK, JK, JK. Hmm. (laughs) They just walk in like, oh, can we have that back? Thanks. Yeah. That nice military pension. Uh. Thank you. So, um, so since they moved into the horse ranch, because he was under investigation, like there was an active investigation in which he and Nicole were both still suspects, um, they couldn't very well leave the area. So they had to live on the horse ranch. So detectives were talking to Isabel when she casually mentioned that Chris had left a potato gun or a potato launcher in her car. In California, Aaron, that counts as an explosive device. And so possessing one is technically a felony. So they arrest him Good on the God. felonious charge of, of owning you a, know what? an explosive firearm. I'm not even I'm mad. Like, I'm not even mad. That's fine. Right? Look, the cops finally put up their free cell game and did something. So Chris finally lured up, lawyered up and made bail. But the important part here was that he was ordered not to leave the area until things could be settled instead of returning to Alaska, which is not known for having reciprocity with many States. Hmm. Um, in fact, <laughs> one of my friends will tell you she wound up here in Louisiana because, um, when her mom and dad divorced, he didn't want to pay child support and Louisiana and Alaska didn't have reciprocity with Michigan where she lived. So if he lived in one of those two States that he didn't have to pay child support and she eventually had to move down here because 
she had to i don't remember how but like that's how his family wound up here because he moved here to avoid child support payments because of the lack of reciprocity right that's some fucked up shit Um, pay child support for your kids what is wrong with people so aaron i didn't know where to put this but it seems like now is the time for a comedic break so i present to you a dramatic reading of the poem that chris lee wrote for aaron Yes, and it's so well. Let's let's just call him William Shakespeare, William's lesser known yet equally talented younger brother. You mean by equally talented? Uh, you mean not at all talented? Wait, I'm gonna close my it. eyes and uh, wait, wait. I'm gonna close my okay. eyes so I can let this wash over me. Okay, I'm gonna put on my most sultry, Please. sexy voice. <clears throat> like it or not, you still hold a part of my heart. Ready or not, we were gonna get caught. Do not give up, and I won't too. Hopefully, like me, you still think I love you. That. Billiam, you're. <laughs> Sweetie. Honey, no. This don't was do in that. the note. Don't write any more poetry. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> this was in the thing, and it was a scan of his, like it was a scan of the handwritten poem. No. Um, yes. Yes. And so I was able to see it in his writing. And Billiam, your handwriting sucks, and so does your poetry, and so do you. And I'm seeing a theme here, my friend. Just stop. Yeah. <laughs> If your poem sounds like my your if, if your poem sounds like Paul's toddler could write it on a particularly difficult morning, then maybe you shouldn't be writing it at all. And I like to encourage people to get into the fine arts, but some things are better left unsaid. Uh, maybe maybe you didn't hear it right. Let me, like it or not, oh, you still hold a part of my heart. Ready or not, we were going to get caught. <laughs> I just can't. He broke it up like a quatrain, but it's really not. Like, I don't But understand. it's not a quatrain, and the, the words don't really rhyme. They're just... <laughs> but, but they kind of slant rhyme, like it's just... They, yeah, they slant it's, rhyme, but they don't rhyme, and and the the, the cadence doesn't deliver. It's just a, a, a hot mess altogether. It sounds like there was some kind of event. Like, he was like, oh, shit, it's our fourth month anniversary. I forgot to get a present. Okay. <laughs> I, I got a post-it fourth. note. Anybody got a post-it note? A four-month anniversary. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, they, I mean, come on. So, after several weeks of searching, they found nothing. The authorities made the difficult decision that on Saturday, August 16th, the search would end. And later that day, a caver noticed a strong gasoline smell coming from one of the mines. <coughs> Inside that mine Sorry, was Aaron Corwin's body. Yeah, oh, it happens. God. Quote, I would say it's a major miracle they found Aaron, her mother said. It's like finding a a needle in a thousand haystacks. Yeah. 
So Aaron had been choked to death with a homemade garrote, then dropped 250 feet down a mine shaft. A propane tank was found with her, part of an unsuccessful effort to burn her body. Detectives immediately... Can we just talk about... Can we talk about real quick... Of all the murder weapons, I don't know why, but I find a garrote, like, particularly heinous. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean over, like, stabbing. Like, I find a garrote just... Just so inhumane. All murder is inhumane, but... But it's so personal and so deliberate. It's so personal and so deliberate. In order to do something like that, you have to be so deliberate. And it's like, it's the thought process behind that for me that's more terrifying than anything else. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So detectives immediately went to the horse ranch to arrest Chris Lee. But Aaron surprised the fucker had disappeared. Oh, wow. I'm shocked. Do you so see my face? Do I, later, do I look surprised? I'm very surprised right now. You do. Mm-hmm. So six days later, NCIS agent Ashley DeChelfin, who I mentioned earlier in my notes, was the badass that mm-hmm. I liked, was able to track Chris Lee to his home state of Alaska. And she talked about, like, referencing all these databases. And, like, she was, like, if you've ever seen um, Criminal Minds, she's like Penelope. If like, I've ever is... seen Criminal Minds, you take a seat, sir. I know you, I know you have, you. but she is like Penelope, just the way she's like getting into all of these like databases and stuff. Like she's a badass. Um, so on August 22nd, 2014, six days after Aaron's remains were found, Chris Lee was arrested for first degree murder with a cer- special circumstance of lying in wait. And that's because Chris and Aaron did meet at Joshua tree that day. Um, Chris told her days before that he had a special surprise for her. And Aaron thought he might even propose marriage as prospect that excited her. And this is what she, like she told that to her friend, Jesse. Um, so Can you instead, imagine thinking you're going to get proposed to and instead you get murdered? Oh my god. And violently. Violently. Because he I don't know if he does death. it. This, I don't know if he does it the way that he did it in the movie. The way in the movie was so brutal. It he was like brutal. hoisted. He, he was behind her and he then he hoisted uh, her on his back and like leaned. Uh, Oh my for, god. Uh-huh. For five minutes. For five minutes. You know what's I think so even I didn't find you know it what's even worse is stopwatch, that, but I wouldn't be surprised. What's even worse is that it takes like seven to eight minutes to really strangle someone to death. So she was probably so injured and still alive. my god so at his trial which began in october of 2016 the prosecution easily established chris's affinity for violence as well as his motive and opportunity for the murder and the defense okay so here's how the, you can crime of passion knew they, the defense knew they lost before they even walked into that room because they called oh because he admitted witness. it because he was like, oh, I killed her, but I had a reason. No, he didn't. He didn't have a reason. 
Um, so they called just one witness, and it was Chris himself. He took his own defense and oh delivered the most desperate bullshit story anyone has ever heard. And I'm surprised need- Lifetime didn't get into this, or if you edited it out. So I don't know. I'm so- no he. All he says is that like she was going to ruin his family. And that he was trying oh, to no. break up with her and she was like not having no. it. And so then he just murdered her instead. Do you have any mm. more champagne? Take mm. a gulp. Take okay. a gulp. You need it. All right. Let's do On this. the stand, Chris confessed to killing Aaron Corwin, confirming all the evidence against him. But then he said that while speaking to Aaron in the desert about her desire to be Liberty's stepmother, he remembered something. One night after his wife had given Liberty a bath, Chris told the court, Nicole found her daughter's crotch to be red and irritated. Nicole accused Aaron of somehow causing the rash. Oh, you have got to be fucking kidding me. As he and his wife talked, Chris started to think that Aaron seemed to be seemed too emotionally attached to the little girl. This, he claimed, turned a gear in my head. Did you touch Liberty? He said he asked Aaron. Did you molest my daughter? And she said yes, but... And that was the last thing I ever heard her say. That, so Chris, Chris said... He used, he used the Chris Watts defense. Yep. Yep. That, Chris said, is when he lost his control, grabbed the garrote. Yeah, because you just just had with him. Right. I listen. I just remember whenever I was talking to her just then that I think she molested my daughter. So I grabbed the garrote that I just carry around in case somebody was molesting my daughter. I'm in the military. Hello. Quote, I was controlled by the anger, the hate I felt that day. It was something I never want to experience again. He said in the courtroom. Um, he detailed the strangulation, which took at least five minutes, uh, with a garrote made of a cord and two pieces of rebar. After confirming that rebar, she was dead, oh my god! Uh, he pushed her head first into the mine shaft. At the bottom of that mine shaft was a propane tank that multiple witnesses had tied Chris to as well as a Sprite bottle that was made into a homemade torch that had failed that had only two people's DNA on it. Chris's and Aaron's, but you know, this was a crime of passion. So pardon me while I roll my eyes harder. Have you ever held rebar? Yes. It is heavy as fuck. There's Uh no way home homeboy was just carrying around a garage made of rebar in his back pocket. Just like chilling. Right, just just in case he remembered somebody molested his daughter one day. Or just in case he, like, ran into the wrong type of... Uh-uh. Right. You don't carry an oh emergency garrote made of rebar in your purse, Aaron? No, I'm not a psycho. So, um... The jurors did... Sorry. 
Well, at least, Aaron, the jurors didn't believe him. I mean, nobody was going to believe him, but the jurors didn't believe him. They found him guilty of first-degree murder with the special circumstance, and it took them 15 minutes. One, five minutes. They walked in, Good. introduced themselves, checked the box for yes, and walked back out. Like, that's all. Like, they walked in, they're like, everybody everybody guilty? Yeah, we can get to happy hour if we just say everybody's guilty. Everybody's guilty? Great, let's go. I need a drink, don't oh. you? Yes, let's do this. Like, oh my. I just, I'm so, just trying to, I'm trying to like hold in my hand like the smallest bit of rebar, the smallest bit of rebar to feel how heavy that would be in my hands just by itself. Uh huh. That's why I told you you needed to go pull that champagne. Like, what a fucking lunatic. Oh my what a God. fucking lunatic. <laughs> Aaron's, uh, so Chris Lee was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, Aaron's family, meanwhile, has worked to remember the good times with their daughter instead of focusing their anger at Chris. Quote, I decided to refuse to be bitter and angry, said Aaron's mother, Lori Hevlin. He's already taken enough from me. If I'm bitter and angry, he's taking my mind, my soul, and my heart, and I'm not giving him that. Good for her. I, God, I cannot imagine having to sit in court and listen to this motherfucker, like, talk at all. But especially blame your daughter for her own murder. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. What a fucking monster. I'm, I'm ready for Simone Biles next week. Yes. So surprise, we're doing Simone Biles next week because we need (laughs) a break. (laughs) Oh my god. And because it's the Olympics and we're both feeling like super patriotic for the first time ever. So we're going to do the Simone Biles Lifetime movie. Um, It came out a while ago before all the Larry Nasser shit came out. So I'm sure there will be a lot more to cover than just the story yes. of the movie. Um, also, that guy can that guy can rot in hell right next to this guy. Like, for real. Yes. Yes. And... It has not been a secret that I have been a huge supporter of Simone Biles forever and that I, I have love thought her. that mm-hmm. she is phenomenal. Um, so I'm excited to cover her and I'm excited. I, I mean, I'm not excited to cover any of the Nasser stuff, but I'm excited to cover the way she has dealt with it and the things that she has said since um, because she is not done kicking oh, ass and taking no. names. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because, or not funny, but I almost did Athlete A for my Patreon, and then we talked about doing the Simone Biles movie, and I was like, I can't do two weeks of that guy. Like, I can't do it. Um, right. So instead, we're just going to do Simone Biles and, and sprinkle that guy on top and, and move on. Like, I hope we can do it justice, but also focus on her accomplishments as, like, a gymnast, oh, just a absolutely. human being. So she's incredible. So I'm excited to do that. <laughs> it's the Olympics. Let's, like... Have some fun for once before Christmas. Like like you said, <laughs> when somebody opens their floor routine with not one but two moves named after her. After them? Uh, <laughs> after themselves, like they so they deserve some attention. Here's Aaron and Paul doing the Aaron and Paul. Oh, oh, they did another Aaron and Paul. That's amazing. Look at them. Like it's just me laying flat for 40 <laughs> seconds with a donut in my it's, hand. It's me like. <laughs> <laughs> While the Roomba vacuum circles around me, that's my floor routine. Yeah. That's, that's it. it. 
Needless to say, we did not qualify for the Olympics this year. We we think our year might be 2024. Whatever. I totally qualified. I just couldn't go because I was injured. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you ever seen the show Miranda? It's a BBC no. comedy. It's so funny. So sh- She's so awkward. She breaks the fourth wall all the time. Like She'll just look directly into the camera and talk to the audience like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then like slip like back Fleabag. into the show and it's just yes so fucking funny funny. but there's when she gets nervous she lies and she the guy who plays lucifer tom ellis is in miranda it's kind of his Mm -hmm. breakout role and Mm -hmm. um he comes back she's got this huge crush on him it's the first time she's seen him since high school you know and so um she runs into him and he's like oh what have you been up to and she tells like spins this huge lie about how she was married and has two kids and uh but her husband died and then the kids died and like she's just trapped in this lie and she's like but you know i'm an olympic gymnast now and she's six foot three and kind of uh kind of curvier like have you seen call the midwife uh some of it not a lot of it she's chummy and call the midwife Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so it's that actress. So she's okay. she goes, um, she goes, but I'm not in the I'm not in the same class that's the small, kind of bouncy type gymnast. I'm in the I'm in the tall, curvy gym they don't show that on the daytime. You have to be up at night to see my my events. Like yeah, she's just like tied uh, up in this. That's on HBO after that's dark. <laughs> that's the one I'm into where I'm laying on the ground with my Roomba and my donut. That's the events I'm in. Nice. So what are you reading? Um, oh, I just actually had um, three different agents reach out to me with um, books to review for my blog. So I'm having to sort through and see which nice. ones I want to read for those. And mm-hmm. um, I just started a new book on Audible. Let me pull up my Audible and see what it's called. Um. Oh, you know what? I started Emma again from um, Audible's version of Emma is narrated by Emma Thompson. And I love, yes, um, I love all of their Jane Austen Audible versions because like Rosamund Pike does their uh, Pride and Prejudice and she's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And they just, I love whenever they hire these class A actresses. you know, my favorite um, Anna Green Gables is the Audible version because it is, and they do not sponsor us. I'm just telling you who the good actors are. Um, no. But um, Rachel McAdams reads the Anna Green Gables Audible Aww. version that's incredible. So that's wonderful. So I just finished a, um, I've been doing a lot of work on my complex PTSD. So. I've been reading a lot of nonfiction, but I just finished a book called Good Morning Monster. Okay. And it's by Catherine Gildener. And she touches a lot on, on, on complex PTSD, but she tells five stories. She's a therapist in Canada. She tells five stories of patients that she's had that have overcome just insane shit in their lives like one of them is a chi- was a chinese immigrant whose mother kept him locked in a room by himself for more than a year growing up oh my god 
and so then he comes to therapy like to try to to get better because he wants to have a like a, a romantic relationship with a woman but he can't because and but the last one is the one that i really resonated with it's um this girl and you know she has a very charismatic father and her mother and her stepmother are both really horrible to her and the book title comes from every morning this girl would come downstairs and her mother would say good morning monster oh but it talks about these five stories that are all incredibly different and incredibly compelling like all on their own and even if you're not interested in complex ptsd at all I, the stories are so good. I cried my way through a bunch of them. They're just really, really, really good. I really enjoyed it. But I also just got one. I just got it like right before we started recording, and I cannot wait to listen to it. It's called The Babysitter. Have you heard of this? Okay. No. It's a true crime book. And okay. I'm just going to read this. Growing up on Cape Cod in the 1960s, Liza Robin was a lonely little girl. During the summers, while her mother worked days in a local motel and danced most nights in the Provincetown bars, her babysitter, the kind, handsome handyman at the motel where her mother worked, took her and her sister on adventures in his truck. He bought them popsicles, and together they visited the secret garden in Truro Woods. To Liza, he was one of the few kind and understanding adults in her life, and everyone thought he was a great guy. But her babysitter was a serial killer. Some of his victims were buried in pieces in the garden where he took them. Though Tony oh Costa's God. gruesome, though Tony Costa's gruesome case made screaming headlines in 1969 and beyond, Liza never made the connection between the friendly babysitter and the infamous killer of numerous women, including four in Massachusetts, until decades later. Oh my God, that sounds incredible. I am so excited. I've heard really, really good things about this book, and I cannot wait to listen to it. Very excited. Yeah, sounds amazing. Yeah. So that's what I'm reading. Oh, and I did read Bitch... Not Bitch Read. Beach Read while I was at church camp. (laughs) (laughs) At your recommendation. And it is by far my favorite romance I've ever read. It's great, right? Because it's it's very it's not so. It's a non romancy romance. Mm-hmm. I love that book. So good. Her follow up was really great uh, too. And so, we meet on vacation. I've heard that, um, but I'm <laughs> actually waiting for her next one, bitch read. Um, it's just a bunch <laughs> of people real mad about something. You don't know what it is until the end. Yeah, we're about to hang up from this call, and Paul's gonna pitch Emily Henry bitch read. <laughs> Emily, we know you're listening, so just yeah, send us an email. We'll, I'll give you all the details. I mean, I'll Emily ghostwrite it Taylor, for you. Emily and Taylor Jenkins Reid listen to this podcast together when they hang out and drink wine together. That's right. <laughs> Eating figure sandwiches, drinking wine. Totally. Right. Wishing <laughs> wishing they could hang out with us. Right. Totally. Yeah. Right. If you want to hang out with us, like, we're, we're available. <laughs> right. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, well Aaron, so thanks for next week out with we'll me be tonight. back. Yes, and next week we'll be back with Simone Biles, and I'm so excited. Nobody dies. Nobody dies. Though a few people we talk about should, at least one. Um, one person we'll talk about should die, but Simone Biles herself should just keep winning gold medals forever. You know what? And if she wants to retire after this week, that's okay, too. 
We support you no matter what. No, I, I just mean even if she retires, they should give her gold medals in retirement. Just like you're so good at being left. retired. You're so good at being retired. Here's a medal for retirement. I saw somebody tweet, by the way, somebody was like, um, I'm not even really impressed by her, Yurchenko. And I was like, why don't you get your ass out there and do it? I will. I tell you what, I will judge you. Do your your Yurchenko. You go do it. I will judge you. People are so bitter. And I'm like, when's the last time you qualified for the Olympics, bro? Right. I every every time the Olympics come around, my favorite Tumblr post ever comes back to life, and it's the idea that we should have one normal person in every Olympic. Do you have a baseline? Just like, uh, and and the fourth lane is Stephen. Stephen is a father of four. Um, he is a ninth grade algebra teacher. And, um, well, everyone has left him. Steven has not even begun running and Steven has fallen. Like, <laughs> yeah. or in the pool, um, Joshua didn't even realize the pool was this big. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. My and, favorite Tumblr, my favorite Tumblr of all time is somebody that asked what seven, six central means in the U S and people were talking about how it means <laughs> six claws from your American or from your bald eagle that every American gets on their 13th birthdays. And then people like just go down and like talk about how they got their bald eagle. It's hilarious. I love those. I also love like when people, Hey, there's one about like how Americans use Fahrenheit. Nobody else does. And it's like, Oh, I think you mean uh, degrees of fucking landed on the moon versus degrees of can't land on the goddamn moon. Like, <laughs> Oh. Americans oh, are the man. narcissistic boyfriend of everyone in the world. Um, but it's not a racist nation. Just look at Ronnie. No, Jackson. no, yeah, totally. Congressman from Texas, yeah, yeah, and he he he'll read he'll read you the Bible if you need a a refresher. <laughs> he will. He will. Um all that's on twitter um and if you want mm-hmm. to read a good twitter um come and join us at life yeah. sentence pod yeah or on instagram at lifetime sentence uh-huh. on facebook.com slash lifetime sentence uh-huh. um you can find our website at lifetime sentence.com you can find us mm-hmm. on tiktok at lifetime sentence and mm-hmm. um shoot us an email at podcast at lifetime sentence.com um mm-hmm. and join us over at patreon at patreon.com slash lifetime sentence and we are doing the damn thing over there it's been really fun we are um i'm still stuck on my badass women bullshit i really love it Same. um and I, if, so if you many... want to hear me try to pronounce names from Listen, around the I... world <laughs> Aaron and I both pronounced some names tonight and we deserve several participation awards, but not a single medal for what we did. No, we're not very good at it at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for hanging out with us and don't yeah. forget to eat every single one of your vegetables. Charge your phone. Bye. Bye. Bye.